You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. I am Bob Akebosade, the CEO of Toronto Centre. Welcome to our discussion on supervisory challenges of climate change risks to the financial system, which is part of our Building Back Better, the road to COP26. Since our inception in 1998, Toronto Centre has trained more than 15,000 central bankers and supervisors in 190 jurisdictions around the world. Uh, climate change, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, and in 2016, we began incorporating climate change to financial systems into our programming. The Bank of Canada considers climate change a threat to financial stability alongside imbalances in the housing market, indebtedness, and cyber attack risks. OSFI has launched a consultation on climate-related risks in the financial sector. Together, these organizations are developing climate change scenarios and stress tests that are critical to understand better the resilience of Canada's financial system to a transition to a low carbon economy. Canada's action is not taking part in a vacuum. It's part of an international conversation in line with the undertakings of the network for greening the financial system. This proactive crisis preparedness is essential for all countries to mitigate against the impact of climate shocks in the aftermath of the devastation of COVID-19 on economies and people's livelihoods. Financial institutions could sustain large losses or even fail as a result of climate-related risks. These risks include physical risks, transition risks, and reputational and litigation risks. There are two fundamental questions for supervisors. Do financial institutions have sufficiently strong governance and controls to manage these risks? And do these firms have adequate financial resources to cope should these risks crystallize. Quantifying the risks and disclosure are essential considerations in the interplay between climate change and financial institutions and their supervisors in the global conversation about net zero transition. To help us navigate this landscape, it is my honor to welcome our distinguished speakers. Natalie Offevre, is the Director General, sorry, Director General Financial Stability and Operations and Chair of Climate Change Center, Banque de France. Kevin Styro is the Executive Vice President of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Kevin co-leads the Basel Committee's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Risks. You have received their bios. Bonjour, Natalie. Hello, Kevin, welcome. Toronto Centre's mission is generously supported by Global Affairs Canada, Swedish CEDA, the IMF, Jersey Overseas Aid, Comic Relief, and the United States Agency for International Development. We will have three rounds. I will pose three questions alternating between each speaker, and then I will take questions from the audience. Please use the Q&A tab to submit your brief questions. Again, brief questions, not speeches. 
Thank you. Let's begin. Natalie, let me start with you. Banque de France serves as the Secretariat of the Network for Greening the Financial System, NGFS. You have been involved in the development of this pivotal international network since day one. Could you please tell us why NGFS was created? And more particularly, why should central bankers and supervisors worry about climate change? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Babak, for this uh, invitation. It's a real pleasure to have this uh, conversation with you. So you asked two questions. First, why uh, NGFS was created? Uh, it's true that it's a real uh, success story. Actually, back in 2017, uh, following the change of stance by the US on climate change, it had actually become nearly impossible to uh, make progress on the subject in official uh, fora, but there was still a strong desire to, to work from many central banks and supervisors. In the wake of Paris Agreement, there was a momentum for the financial sector to be part of the effort, and we thought we could try to continue the work informally. Uh, at the first Paris One Planet Summit in December 2017, the Banque de France, together with seven other central uh, banks and supervisors, launched an informal network of willing institutions. And really, we did not know uh, what will be our future at that moment. Uh, let me highlight one of the key success factors for the NGFS. Uh, our network was centered on central bank and supervisors. This means that the NGFS brought together very homogeneous members uh, with similar mandates, a long experience of working together and a lot of trust. And this was really uh, very helpful. Another key success factor was uh, that we based our work on our mandate, preserving price stability and ensuring, ensuring financial uh, stability. Um, and because it is clearly in our mandate, it is not a nice to have, it is a must have. And this explains the success of the NGFS. Uh, now, you know, the NGFS has grown to more than 90 members, including the Fed. And the coalition of the willing philosophy of the NGFS has definitely helped to, uh, a lot to increase awareness uh, among our community and inspire its members to take action. So your second question is why central banks and uh, central bankers and supervisors should worry about climate change. Uh, the first work conducted in the NGFS was really to recognize that climate change is a source of financial risks. And it was really a very important step for us. And as such, it is within central banks and supervisors mandate to assess this risk and put in place the appropriate mitigation uh, tools. So it was really the foundation of our work. Uh, and that's why in its first comprehensive report published in uh, 2019, the NGFS called for collective action and issued a set of recommendations. Taken together, they reflect best practices identified by NGFS members to facilitate the role of the financial sector in achieving the objectives of the Paris Agreement. So uh, this was the, the founding uh, of our foundation of our work. 
four of these recommendations are aimed at central banks and supervisors. What we recommend is first to integrate climate related risk into financial stability monitoring and micro supervision. Second, integrate sustainability factors into own portfolio management. Third, bridge the data gaps. And uh, fourth, finally, build awareness and intellectual capacity as you do uh, at the Toronto Center, it's very important. These recommendations are non-mandatory, but they provide a guideline for central banks and uh, supervisors action. So the NGF has published a number of reports addressing its recommendations. Uh, it's very practical guides uh, to provide central banks and uh, supervisors with uh, really uh, hands-on tools. Uh, and I would like to mention in particular uh, the NGFS guide for supervisors and uh, our climate scenarios, which lays some gr groundwork for monitoring framework of climate-related risk in the financial system. And uh, just a final word on this, we are very careful about capacity building and helping less advanced jurisdictions adapting their own framework to cope with climate-related risk. Uh, and that's why we try to share best practices and we organize frequent outreaches to foster knowledge sharing. And uh, we think that it is the best way to, to improve uh, the, um, this knowledge and the, the best practices within our community. I stop there. Ali, that was excellent. Sorry that we have to uh, contain you. I mean, we could have a whole hour on this and we're a little bit better than the CNN. So we give you more than 20 seconds to describe. Just one follow-up question. Uh, it's an impressive body with 91 members, as you said, and it includes both developed countries and developing countries. Am I correct? Absolutely. It's very important for us to, to be open. The only thing which is important is to be willing uh, to, uh, to work on this. So we ask our members to uh, join some work streams. It is, we want to share capacity, we want to share best practices, but we want them also to be really involved in our work and to uh, contribute through one or two or three if they want uh, of our work streams. Great, thank you. <clears throat> Kevin, turning to you, um, um, you're a good friend of Toronto Center. It's great to see you again, Kevin. Uh, we just talked about NGFS, and as you know, the UN and many national governments have declared climate action a key priority. The G7 just backed making climate-related disclosure in the financial sector mandatory, yet some standard setters have not been visible in this space to provide uh, needed advice and guidance to supervisors. Therefore, in my opinion, your new role as the, the co-lead of the Basel Committee's task force on climate-related financial risks, or TFCR, is really a welcome development. What are the current policy priorities and objectives of Basel's uh, TC, TFCR? Thank you. Great. Thanks, uh, and it's a pleasure to be here today. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to participate. Uh, as you all know, the financial risks of climate change are a topic of considerable and growing importance within the financial sector. We see large firms building their capacity in core areas of risk management, developing new tools such as scenario analysis and enhancing their own disclosures. 
At the same time, the supervisory community around the world is assessing oversight frameworks and developing internal models and furthering our capacity to assess the risks. So I'll talk a little bit about the Basel Committee's work through the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Risk. And I'll begin with a bit of background. So the Basel Committee's mandate is to strengthen the regulation, supervision, and practices of banks worldwide with the purpose of enhancing financial stability. And last year, the Basel Committee noted that climate change may bring both physical and transition risks that could potentially impact both the safety and soundness of individual institutions and have broader financial stability implications. So in response, the committee established the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Risks in February of last year to begin work. And I'm acting as co-chair of this, as you mentioned, along with Frank Elderson of the ECB and also chair of the Network for Greening the Financial System. And our work has proceeded in three stages. Uh, first, we did a stock take of the activities, the existing initiatives across members, and we published that last year. And then we turned to uh, the analytical work that underpins the, the Basel assessments. So we published two analytical reports in April of this year, one on transmission channels and one on measurement methodologies. And both of these are available on the BIS website. And together, they really serve as the foundation, the foundational documents for the Basel Committee's assessment of the financial risks of climate change. In both cases, these reports leverage extensive reviews of the existing literature. This includes publications by scientists and academics, central banks, supervisory authorities, and a review of discussions that we had with large internationally active banks. And the goal is that this work will both leverage and complement the work that's already being done in other international areas, such as the NGFS or the Financial Stability Board. Building off of that analytical base, the next step is that we will begin to investigate the extent to which climate-related financial risks could be addressed within the existing Basel framework, identify whether there are any potential gaps in the framework, and then consider measures to fill those gaps. But to be very clear at this point, uh, the TFCR doesn't have a view on whether there are gaps in the framework or not. We have to do the analysis and see where it takes us. Um, a few uh, context points that I think are helpful to frame the entire discussion. One, uh, the Basel Committee is focused on the impact of climate change on the risks that banks face, not on using the financial system to promote a greening of the economy or the financial system. And that's the mandate of the Basel Committee. It's also the mandate of many of its members. So it's very much a risk management perspective. We are also within our task force focused on the impact of climate change, not broader environmental issues related to things like biodiversity or pollution. Again, that's at the, at the direction of the committee. And then finally, at the inception, when the TFCR was created, uh, we were given a, uh, a set of uh, instructions to follow a gradual and sequential approach. So that means build an analytical foundation first and then discuss discuss the potential policy implications. And in my view, that sequencing is really critical. 
uh, first build a positive perspective, which is the strong analytical foundation to understand what the risks are. And that's critical for the Basel Committee's value added uh, to the discussions that are happening within the industry and the official sector. And only then move to a more normative perspective to think about an assessment of the Basel framework, which will depend ultimately on the initial analysis for its credibility and its legitimacy. So I can come back to what we found uh, within those analytical reports and some of the policy work that might happen going forward. So I'll turn it back to you. Thank you very much, Kevin. I was just uh, waiting to unmute. So thanks for um, leading this uh, comprehensive effort. Any good guidance from the Basel Committee definitely would be very helpful, especially to us who are teaching climate-related risk courses to various supervisors. And just to uh, uh, let you and the audience know, we are really very happy to have uh, you know, a large number of people from frankly every continent. We have people from Afghanistan all the way to Zimbabwe and Europe, uh, South America. So welcome and hello to everybody. Natalie, the French Prudential Supervision and Resolution Authority recently uh, ran a climate stress test what are the early lessons from this exercise? What feedback have you received from the industry? Thank you. Yes, we, we thought that we should uh, walk the talk uh, as soon as possible. And uh, so uh, when the NGFS released last year, its first uh, scenarios, climate change scenarios, we, we decided to to use them and to uh, launch our first uh, pilot climate uh, stress test exercise. Uh, and the results were published in May, last May. Uh, its goals were two fronts. First, better assess the exposure of French banks and insurers to climate risks. Uh, and second, assist the industry to better factor in climate change risks, improve models and uh, methodologies, and also identify data gaps. Uh, it was a very ambitious exercise and uh, the first of its kind, actually. Uh, it was ambitious because of the time horizon um, over which the risks were assessed until 2050, which, is, which was very unusual for uh, uh, supervisors. Uh, because of the methodology used, uh, it was so based on uh, scenario analysis, uh, relying on NGFS scenarios, uh, also, because of its innovative hypothesis, for example, um, it was possible to have a dynamic balance sheet for a central for commercial banks because it was a bit difficult to say that uh, their balance sheet won't be uh, changed uh, up to 2050. So uh, commercial banks and insurers were able to, to adjust their balance sheet to uh, climate changes and the events that were uh, included in the scenarios. Uh, and it was also ambitious because of its coverage of both physical and transition risks for more than 50 sectors. So you see a huge exercise. Um, this was a voluntary exercise with, with a large success, uh, actually, because uh, a large number of banks and insurance companies participated. Uh, and of course, it, it was a pilot exercise. So it means that 
uh, it will not by itself trans translate into uh, supervisory uh, actions uh, because we are at the very beginning. So what did we learn from this? Um, for first, it has improved the, the, the understanding of climate-related risks within financial institutions. Uh, we move from a, a kind of theoretical approach to something which was much more operational. Uh, so it raises the awareness of the um, impact on, on the risks. Uh, second, this exercise provided the first measurement of risks and vulnerabilities uh, for French uh, financial institutions. It revealed, it revealed overall moderate exposure for French banks and insurers to climate risk by 2050. And this is a, an important uh, um, uh, element because risk, climate change risks are really rising very fast uh, beyond 2050. So it does not mean that it is because it is moderate in 2050 that it will always be moderate. And also what we saw is that we, we can have significant impacts on some sectors as regards the transition risk or in some French areas as regards physical risks. For example, the insurance cost for physical risks could be multiplied by five to six in some regions. So very significant cost in some areas. However, these conclusions are subject to large uncertainties concerning both the speed and the impact of climate change. So we have to accept this uncertainty within the, the exercise. And we also met, of course, methodological difficulties. Um, and also we have to take into account that the outcome really depends on the assumptions. So we have to remain very humble and so it's my last point. It shows that considerable efforts must be made to integrate climate risk uh, into, fi into financial risk assessment uh, processes. So for us, it is just a starting point for future work, further work to improve the methodology of climate stress test. Uh, and it is very useful to have this kind of co-building with uh, banks and insurers in order to make it uh, more uh, operational. Uh, and what we see also, <laughs> it's my conclusion of this, uh, is that uh, it's really crucial that a growing number of supervisors carry out climate scenario analysis uh, because it will contribute to developing a common base of knowledge and climate risk assessment in, in our community. I stop there. Thank you, Natalie. That was great. And I think you're underscoring the point that, uh, you know, there's consequences to inaction. You know, although there's uncertainties in your scenarios, testing and everything else that you talked about, let's just for a moment reflect on the pandemic. I was talking to Kevin before the program started. Uh, you know, some people have, I've, I've heard people make an analogy between pandemic and climate change in a sense that the climate change is a bit of a slow moving pandemic. The difference is, and you know, there's lots of tests we didn't pay attention globally to those tests very well. The key difference is when, if climate, when climate change comes in full force, we will not be able to self-isolate and there's no vaccine, right? So the better prepared we are, the better. Kevin, turning back to you, last April, um, your task force uh, published two analytical reports. 
climate-related risks, drivers, and their transmission channels, and climate-related financial risks, measurements, and methodologies. And Natalie talked a little bit about methodol methodologies. What are the main conclusions and results from these analytical papers and the challenges identified? Thank you. Yeah, I'll talk about each of the, each of the two reports. Uh, so the first one on transmission channels tries to explore how climate risk drivers can give rise to financial risks at uh, financial institutions through a range of different transmission channels. And we really identified two broad mechanisms, macroeconomic and microeconomic transmission channels that follow through the now standard lexicon of physical and transition risks. Now, one key conclusion from this work is that these climate risk drivers can be mapped into traditional and very familiar financial risk categories like credit risk, market risk, liquidity risk, and operational risk that are used currently by financial institutions and are reflected in the Basel framework. So that's an important point because it suggests that the existing risk management frameworks are fit for purpose and we need to think about how we can enhance them to include these additional risk drivers. So that conceptual point is relatively clear, but the report also discusses the significant challenges that differentiate climate risk drivers in practice. Uh, the report highlights, for example, how the impacts of physical and transition risks uh, can vary enormously across economies, financial markets, and have di very different impacts on banks, depending on geographies, the level of economic or financial system development, and the individual business models that banks face. And I think this heterogeneity is one example of the challenges uh, that we all face in trying to understand the ultimate impact of climate change on bank risk profiles. And, and Natalie mentioned this in some of their own work where they showed the range of outcomes uh, that she mentioned across regions. The report also highlighted the complexity of this undertaking, how risks can be both amplified by interactions among risk drivers and feedback loops within the financial sector, but they can also be tempered by risk mitigating factors, things like insurance or securitization. But then that's further complicated by the endogenous response of market participants as both amplifiers and mitigants may change over the horizon, over the forecast horizon. And then finally, the first report concludes, uh, does an assessment of the amount of research that's been done uh, as banks try to explore how climate risks feed in to financial risks. And the existing analysis tends to focus on very specific climate risk drivers that impact narrowly defined sectors of the economies, individual markets, or these broader top-down assessments. So as a result, further work on the impact of climate risk drivers and banks' exposures across very specific risk types would be useful. On the second report around measurement methodologies, this report provides an overview of the conceptual issues regarding the methodologies to measure climate-related financial risks and surveys the main types of approaches being used by both banks and, and supervisors. I think one really clear observation is that climate-related financial risk assessment requires forward-looking measurement methodologies 
that are linked to sufficiently granular data. And that approach is somewhat different than what might have been used in the past. Uh, and these are challenges that show uh, how difficult it will be to incorporate climate-related financial risks into the existing framework. For example, more detailed data on physical location of assets of borrowers is one, one topic that we hear a lot from the financial industry. And forward-looking models that might have different relationships or correlations than we've seen in the historical data reflect another challenge. Based on our outreach to the industry, uh, the report uh, finds that banks' efforts to assess climate-related financial risks are really focused on mapping near-term transition risks to exposures, and work is at an earlier stage when thinking about some of the physical risks. On the physical risk side, so far credit risk measurement has attracted the most effort with a lesser focus on market risk and a very limited focus on liquidity or operational risk. And then finally, the report provides a high level overview of the strengths and weaknesses of the main types of approaches uh, that firms are using in the, in the industry now. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. This is certainly very thorough work. And just as you were talking, I, I, I wanted to mention to you, you probably know our board member, Bill Cohen, who's the former Secretary General of Basel Committee, and he's on the webinar. So hi, Bill, to you, and uh, thanks for your help in helping us with these uh, events. Natalie, back to you. Um, you know, both you and Kevin are very busy people, as if, Natalie, you didn't have enough to do as the Director General for Financial Stability, as the uh, chief spearheader for NGFS. You also chair the Climate Change Center at Banque de France. So I wonder what else, what else is that you don't do? But anyway, in that capacity, <laughs> what are your objectives and challenges at the national level? Thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, I, I think uh, uh, really this uh, Climate Change Center is um, a platform, as you, as you say, to, um, to steer the work at the, the Banque de France and the ACPR, our uh, French authority, uh, supervision, uh, supervision authority, uh, to steer all the work. Um, as I said, uh, uh, central banks have a role to play according to us and should lead by example. When saying that, um, uh, I don't say that uh, central bankers and supervisors can do everything. Uh, it's very important to remind that uh, we can't be the only game in town and uh, nothing, for example, will replace uh, an appropriate carbon price. So government have to design their uh, climate change policies and, and have to uh, have a, a long-term policy for all, uh, um, all players to, to adjust to this policy. But once that said, I really think that uh, we, we should lead by example and, uh, uh, and apply to ourselves all the recommendations we, we provide to others. Um, and also, as I also mentioned, it's very important to act according to our mandate. And for us, uh, we see that we can do a lot within our mandate and our actions are based on four main pillars. Uh, the first one is acting to preserve financial stability. We have already uh, covered this uh, topic with, for example, this, cli this uh, pilot climate stress test. 
conducted by the ACPR. Uh, the, second, uh, the second pillar is about responsible investment. You know that central banks manage large portfolios, and we think that we could uh, apply responsible investment also uh, as central banks. Since 28, uh, uh, 2018, the Banque de France has been implementing a responsible investment approach uh, for its own investments. Uh, and the, um, uh, we have, uh, we have uh, published a dedicated report uh, on, on this. And I, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting because it helps us to understand also uh, the difficulties that can um, uh, that can have uh, other uh, investors. The third pillar is integrating climate issues into monetary policy. This is a very uh, new uh, area, but um, we, we also think that climate change matters for our price stability mandate. And we think that central banks should recalibrate their monetary policy tools to take into account climate-related risks because the effects of climate change will have an impact on both inflation and growth. So uh, we are very much contributing to the collective debate on this, uh, particularly in the context of the ECB's uh, strategy review. The fourth pillar is developing research. Research activity is crucial in order to better understand the, the financial issues related to the effect of climate change. And uh, we need to include this in our modeling and to, uh, of course, uh, have a longer term horizon in our modeling. Uh, so we, we really think that we need to work with uh, all the universities and uh, to have uh, to develop this research activity in order to better uh, factor in climate risk change in our financial modeling. And I could even add an additional pillar. We are now considering whether we could include ESG criteria in our internal corporate rating tool. Uh, and if it is the case, how we should do that? Uh, so you see that we have a number of activities where we, we could and we should um, develop our action uh, in regard of the uh, climate change risks. And that's why the Climate Change Center has been set up to steer and monitor all our climate-related initiatives in order to ensure that they are well coordinated and also to further strengthen our ability to act vis-a-vis -vis the financial sector in the broader sense. And of course, the center will also ensure that the bank's initiatives are consistent with the priorities of the NGFS for which the Banque de France has provided the Secretariat since its creation in December 2017. And we are, of course, very committed in its uh, future work. So a lot of good reasons for this uh, uh, Climate Change Center. Great, that's just uh, fantastic and uh, music to my ear because so many issues uh, that are out there you're integrating. Uh, I used to work for institutional investors back in 2005, they were actually incorporating ESG into their work. I mean, these are big pension funds with trillions of dollars and financial sector needs to catch up. And that's at least one of the things that you're doing. That's important. You also covered a couple of things before I go to Kevin. 
One is government action. So we see a lot of governments around the world that are making a lot of pronouncements, photo opportunities, announcements, doing things, but they're still bucking those hard decisions, carbon pricing and everything else. So supervisors are sort of left on their own to sort out some of these issues that you and Kevin are trying to work through in response to government changes. So it's really important for supervisors to be equipped and to be resilient because if a crisis happens, they're the ones who are gonna get blamed, right? They don't ever get to write a good press release, but they're gonna get blamed. The other thing is that uh, many of the things you're talking about here also have uh, uh, a lot of relevance to developing countries in, in terms of what you're seeing. So the coverage could be that way. Kevin, let me ask you the last question of the formal part, and I'll encourage people to start putting your questions in. I see some questions already, and the Courageous Anonymous has a couple of questions, but I'm going to go to the people who identify themselves first. So if you have a couple of minutes to write those. Kevin, what is next for your task force, TFCR, and how are you thinking about policy implications? So, as I mentioned, uh, since its inception, the TFCR has been pursuing a, a gradual and sequential approach. First, a stock take, then an analytical foundation, and now a movement on to the potential policy implications. And that's where we are now, beginning to do the work in terms of a more normative assessment around policy. Uh, and our goal, again, is to be consistent with the committee's mandate uh, to pursue. Uh, strengthening the regulation and supervision of banks worldwide and ensuring that banks are prepared to address the risks that climate change might bring. Uh, our current work program is comprehensive in the sense that we're approaching all three pillars of the Basel framework, regulation, supervision, and disclosure. And work is already underway on these three broad strands, uh, likely to uh, proceed at different timelines. Uh, for example, the work on supervisory practices would likely be completed on an accelerated timeline compared to some of the other components. Um, we understand, though, that much of the public discussion around the Basel Committee's work has focused or asked questions around uh, regulation. Uh, and our, our approach is really to try to be as open minded as we can be to consider the full spectrum of tools that could be available to the committee, uh, in particular forward-looking tools that could include things like supervisory guidance, scenario analysis, or disclosure that are all part of the possibilities uh, that we're investigating. And each of these could be a powerful tool to help financial institutions mitigate uh, the financial risks of climate change. But to emphasize, we don't have any views at this point. We're doing our analysis, we're doing our assessment, of all three pillars, we would then take recommendations uh, back to the Basel Committee who would ultimately decide on the path forward. So to just summarize, uh, our current focus is trying to do the most uh, rigorous and thorough gap analysis that we can without any bias or any predetermined outcomes. Uh, we'll do the work and see where it takes us. Uh, when we'll pursue this work with a goal of ensuring a common minimum baseline across member jurisdictions. Part of that will be to identify what is most appropriate conceptually and not to limit ourselves based on the known limitations now in terms of data or analytical ability. Uh, we know the landscape is changing rapidly and we don't wanna be 
deterred by constraints that we face now, but might not be as big of, of a constraint after further investment in the future. Uh, all of our work will be evidence and risk-based and any deliverable will reflect the perspectives of the, of the broad uh, members of the committee. So thanks all for your attention and I look forward to the questions and comments. Thank you, um, Kevin. Um, and your task force certainly has its finger on the pulse of the key issues. So we look forward to those deliberations and decisions from the Basel Committee. So I'm gonna uh, go through the questions here. Uh, the first question is from your um, uh, colleague from uh, Central Bank of Morocco, Halim Jadi, head of macroprudential department there. The question is, what is the role of macroprudential policy? Could you give some examples of macroprud uh, instruments to mitigate climate ri related risks? Uh, which of you would like to take that? I mean, it's a question for both, but we don't have time for two people answering. Is there any volunteers or should I assign one? <laughs> Uh, maybe I can start. Sure. Um, it's a difficult question because um, um, we started with the uh, micro approach uh, in terms of risk management. Uh, and uh, Kevin could uh, come back on this. So the macro prudential tools uh, and the activation of macro prudential tools is a bit more difficult to um, assess at this stage. I, I think we, we have not uh, really assess the, this aspect, it will come because we're really seeing that uh, um, uh, climate change could have macro uh, impact. And that's why we work on macro financial scenarios. Um, we, we, in the, in the, in the um, regulatory rules and the capital requirements, you, you have some capital buffers that could be used but I think we really need to work much more on that to be able to, to build on a macroprudential um, tool and a macroprudential policy. Thank you. And Kevin, do you have any views on this? So my work is focused on the, the microprudential side, but uh, Natalie did mention the question of scenario analysis as a tool. And I think that is a potential tool that could have uh, value added for both microprudential and macroprudential objectives as a way to better understand how risks might evolve across a range of plausible future scenarios. Uh, I do think it's important to distinguish uh, these kinds of climate-related scenario analysis from our existing uh, regulatory stress testing regimes. And this is something that we try to be very clear on in the Basel Committee's task force report on measurement methodologies to compare these and contrast these. Generally speaking, the way they're used now, uh, climate-related scenario analyses are longer term in nature, uh, built more on uh, developing a risk identification, help firms understand risks from a st strategic perspective, as opposed to the more traditional regulatory stress tests that are typically shorter term in nature and more linked to assessments of capital adequacy or the capital planning process. And from that perspective, I think these are best viewed as complementary tools rather than substitutes. So we're trying to keep a careful distinction 
And I think that's consistent with the way some of the other jurisdictions who have implemented these scenario analyses think about them. Thank you. Um, I have a couple of really good questions here. I'm going to uh, turn to uh, you, Natalie. They're on ESG, so I'm going to try to combine them. So uh, I guess there's a lot of work has been done on ESGs, uh, triple bottom line, um, books have been re written. Um, the questioner references Sina's book in 2006, uh, but also at the end of the day, assessing that information and what is being done to bring together the expertise to establish best practices and to influence emerging data standards for ESG. And I guess I'm not, I don't presume that this is what the questioners are asking, but it's something that I ask myself very much. Looks like today you can put a label of ESG on any exchange traded fund or mutual fund and people rush to buy it. And then later on, you open it up and you see some of the very same companies are in it that there are elsewhere. So when it comes to ESG and the work of your group, how do you deal with that? And how do you bring some of the best practices into this? Um, that's true that um, one key point uh, with the ESG implementation is data and disclosure. Uh, so uh, this is, uh, a key point, not only for uh, supervisors, but also uh, for central banks and for all the investor community. We need to have data, we need to have good quality data, we need to have comparable data, uh, and uh, this is the key point. Um, so in this, um, in this field, we have tried to uh, identify the important data and the data which are needed to uh, assess um, the uh, ESG uh, performance of our portfolios. Uh, we have worked on these uh, uh, items, on these topics within the NGFS. So we have uh, produced report on best practices regarding um, ESG investment. Uh, so it's uh, uh, central banks can use it in order to, to build up their capacities. And we, it's a very pragmatic approach and um, a guidebook in order to, to start this work. Uh, as I mentioned, you need data. So uh, in our case, we, we, um, uh, we bought um, uh, data from uh, providers and we, we compare them and we try to, um, we, we need to build our own capacity. Uh, and uh, we were uh, supported by uh, um, experts from um, consultants uh, firms, we need to, to we needed to really uh, increase our capacities, and we were able to uh, assess the um, alignment to the to Paris Agreement of our portfolios to identify um, um, a pass uh, a, a pathway to to um, lower carbon uh, intensive portfolios. And we decided, of course, to uh, exit from some uh, um, uh, industry, in particular coal industry, by 2024. So it's a progressive work, um, and uh, you need to, to build up your capacities to understand uh, where you can improve uh, your um, ESG uh, performance. Uh, and it's true that it requires resources. Uh, you have to be humble pragmatic um, and to be um, uh, to have a long uh, a long term uh, 
uh, long-term strategy because you can't change everything uh, in a very short period of time. Thank you very much. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to turn to you on a practical question. How should uh, regulators and banks balance the desire to reduce banks' uh, carbon footprint with the impact of uh, doing so on individual clients, particularly borrowers? How do we manage this transition? I think that's a, an important question. Uh, one of the things that uh, we are thinking about when we talk to the banks is the different types of pressures that large financial institutions face. And this has come out in some of the discussions that the Basel Committee Task Force had with large internationally active banks who have a number of objectives in this space that goes back to the, to the mandate question that we talked about earlier, but from the private sector perspective. So on the one hand, banks might have corporate social responsibility goals where they think about how they want to contribute uh, to uh, sustainability goals and many large banks have voluntarily made net zero commitments to align their portfolios uh, to, for example, the Paris Agreement. At the same time, banks are thinking about the opportunities to work with both new and existing clients to help finance the transition uh, to a low carbon economy. And they're thinking about this from a risk management perspective. What are the new types of risks that physical and transition risks bring onto their balance sheet or their income statement or to their business models? So that's a, that's a very complex strategic decision that individual institutions need to make in terms of their own objectives, in terms of their own risk appetites. From a supervisory perspective, we're beginning to think through what the uh, risk management frameworks might look like and colleagues at other in other jurisdictions have put out supervisory guidance on this already uh, the basel committee our task force uh, we haven't developed views yet on what an appropriate risk management framework might include but that's the type of work we're, we're working we're going forward with thank you very much and uh, i want to combine a couple of questions from schwabach and our friend uh, calvin uh, hi calvin so they're talking about the day-to-day -day activities of supervisors. Uh, so in terms of day-to-day -day supervision, Natalie, this is to you. How could, uh, what would you suggest as supervisors, uh, how do they, how should they include climate risk in their risk-based frameworks? Works? Uh, should assessment of climate risk be separate risk or assess the impact of climate change across set of all kinds of risks, such as credit market operational compliance strategies? What is your recommendation for those who are just getting started? Um, we, we have, uh, um, uh, within the NGFS, we have worked on this and, and uh, produced guides to supervisors. Uh, the idea is to, um, for supervisors to uh, release their uh, expectations, supervisors' expectations as regard climate change it, it's the best way to start the work in order to, uh, uh, to, to inform all uh, supervised institutions uh, of the uh, supervisor's expectations. And uh, what we have seen here, at least in France, is that um, the issue of uh, climate change, which, which was uh, more or less within the uh, uh, ESG division, 
our ESG chief officer, uh, has moved to risk department. And th this is a very important uh, move, a very important change because um, now uh, being taken into consideration by risk departments in, in, in commercial banks or in insurers, um, they have started to identify these risks. Uh, and they, 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 they start the work to identify them. And when you have identified them, of course, you start to mitigate them. And we, the, the work uh, starts with conversation, discussions between the supervisor and, and, the, and the, the banks and, and insurers, uh, because we are all in the learning curve. But the only fact that it is now within the uh, risk management divisions and that uh, uh, this uh, conversation has started, it, uh, it is very important, it is very powerful actually, because it means that uh, it is something which is um, taken into consideration in the, in the tools, in the uh, risk management tools, and that they have to adjust these uh, risk management tools. We need to, uh, it, it requires a lot of work because time horizon is different. We have to adjust, to adopt forward looking approach. So it, it requires a lot of work, technical work, but uh, since it has, uh, it, is, it has been now uh, taken on board by uh, risk management divisions, all this work of adjusting our tools, management tools, risk management tools uh, can start. Thank you very much for that. Uh, that's true. Uh, starts with a conversation, right? Because raising awareness is really step one for people to understand that they're dealing with risks, material risks. This is not about protest movements, right? So Kevin, um, there's a question here, since you uh, helped steer through some kind of a methodology, stress testing questions, what are some of the challenges encountered in deriving at stress test methodologies relating to climate change risk? So I think the two biggest challenges are around the complexity and the uncertainty. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about each and embedded in that is the overriding or consistent question about data availability. So on complexity, if we think about the, the chain of events that might go from uh, emissions to climate change, to impact on the economy, to changes to risks on bank balance sheets, each one of those steps is enormously complicated and complex and hard to model. Each one of those steps is subject to considerable uncertainty about the timing of impacts, about the magnitude of impacts, about things like broader policies, technological innovation, consumer behavior, all of which are very hard to model in a forward-looking sense. So what we've heard from large institutions is, the, is that they're breaking this into pieces to try to understand specific linkages from risk drivers to certain exposures. For some, depending on their business model or uh, balance sheet exposures, that might be focused on uh, the changing structure of an economy as it transitions uh, to a low carbon footprint. For others, it might be a greater focus on uh, geographic exposures, depending on the concentration, say, of, of their loan book. But all of those steps are complex, require new data, and in some cases, uh, historical models 
might be different uh, or might not might be less useful as predictors in a world where, for example, the frequency or severe severity of extreme weather events is different. The distribution of potential losses is different, and that requires more forward-looking different models to, to understand those. Uh, how that all plays out is very challenging to predict, which is why scenario analysis uh, could be a very powerful tool. Uh, they're not necessarily predictions about this will happen, but if this happens, is your business model, is your strategy robust to this range of plausible outcomes? So I think that is really the, the, the important component of, of the scenario analysis work to test that resilience across a wide range of plausible scenarios where we don't know how it will work because of the uncertainty around technology, the science, policies that governments might choose to implement. Thank you very much. Natalie, the last question goes to you. Uh, an interesting question. Uh, you know, we're all kind of technocrats sitting around working about and thinking about things. And sometimes we try to balance values against the facts. Uh, the question is if coal could be made clean as in carbon capture, uh, would your position change? Would NGFS's position on carbon change? Um, it's difficult to say. Uh, what is behind this question is the issue of the transition. We need also to support transition, not only uh, the final goal of uh, uh, net zero, uh, because uh, the net zero will be uh, in 2050. It is at least the commitment for a number of countries and that, uh, the case for, uh, the Europe for European countries. But we need to support a transition and uh, all aspects of transition. It, it can be uh, the pathway to uh, low carbon uh, activities and also, of course, uh, ca um, uh, uh, carbon uh, storage. But I, would, I am tempted to say that about coal, which is the most uh, um, carbon intensive activity in the world, uh, I am quite... Uh, I am quite doubtful that we could uh, change our mind. Okay, thanks. Well, I mean, it's true in the sense that, you know, we all have companies in our countries. You have Total, Exxon in the US, elsewhere, where petroleum is really key. And then you can think about the coal equivalents and you need everything for this transition. So it doesn't happen overnight. So uh, it gives me great pleasure to thank both of you. And thank you very much for lending us some of your time. I know you have a very busy day job portfolio, wear multiple hats. Uh, we will uh, take advantage of your uh, views and perspectives in our future uh, capacity building programs. I would like to thank everyone who uh, did provide questions. Uh, I, my apologies to the Courageous Anonymous. We didn't have a chance to get to yours, uh, but uh, we are gonna keep all these questions as part of our work. And what, what the two of you underscored here really is that climate change is no longer an issue or a cause. It's actually a mainstream risk to the financial sector. So thank you. Keep up your amazing work and let's stay in touch. Uh, namaste. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you.